Wow. If you needed convincing that God directs his church to different portions of the Bible at different times, uh, let me bear testimony. Dan and I had, uh, uh, had planned to do an Advent series uh, that had nothing to do with the book of Leviticus, and, uh, and Dan, uh, Dan got sick, and he was supposed to be the first one up in that series. Um, and so the Lord directed us to this book, and I'm glad that he did. Uh, he is wise and good to us. And uh, so we uh, didn't plan on having a series in Leviticus, but here we are. And I trust it will be a great encouragement to you um, as, as we uh, walk through this book. Um, the series is called Worshiping a Holy God. And uh, this morning, in Leviticus chapter 2, I've entitled this sermon, Holy Devoted. So, as you're finding your place in Leviticus, I would just ask you a couple of questions. Uh, practical questions. How do you think through how to give to God? How do you think through that? What's your grid? What, what, what are the... What are the things that, that you're contemplating as, as you're making decisions about what to give and when to give? Let me put it this way. What motivates you to serve people? Whether at church or in your neighborhood or perhaps even in your family, what motivates you to serve people? And as you think through that, how do you make decisions about what ways you'll serve and when you'll serve? What's more, asking the question from, from my perspective, how do I help you think through such things? As, as one of your pastors, you know, I'm frequently asked by different ministry heads to you know, kind of encourage the saints to step up and fill in certain holes in our ministry. How should I approach such a tall order? Guilting is certainly not the way, so what is the way? Well, as you think through these questions and perhaps related ones, um, the answers come to us in a rather unexpected place. In Leviticus chapter 2, God speaks of these very things in his instructions on the grain offering. An ancient worship act from a different culture. We don't make grain offerings in this church as part of our worship service. right? This is an ancient practice from a, a faraway place, a different, a different culture. But it is part of our spiritual heritage. And so God has preserved the instructions for this offering in the scriptures for our attention, that we might benefit from them. It gets down to this, friends. God wants us to be wholly devoted to him. So listen in as we turn to his word on this very subject. I'll read Leviticus chapter 2 aloud. You follow along with me. It's, uh, I think it's 16 verses long. And though these are perhaps not the words most often heard read aloud, this too is God's word, so pay careful attention. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. 
And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. As I said, we're going to answer these questions from an unexpected place. Those, those very words that I just read aloud. And the theme of this chapter I would put to you is this. Forgiven people give themselves to God. Forgiven people give themselves to God. This reality is seen in the grain offerings of Israel, friends. God had Moses instruct the people on how to make these regular offerings as they would bring them to the tent of meeting, that is the tabernacle. Just as we saw in the burnt offering in chapter 1, specific parameters are given here. Uh, for how to worship God with this particular sacrifice. And it is in the details that the Lord calls the people to give themselves wholly to Him. I think it's appropriate at this point just to mention, the Lord doesn't need sacrifices. The Lord is in need of nothing. He doesn't need food offerings to sustain Himself. What He wants, friends... What he wants is the hearts of his people seen in sincere sacrifice. Through the prophet Hosea and many other places in the Old Testament, the Lord told the people plainly that he desires their loyalty, their steadfast love, rather than empty rituals. You can, you can see that in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 as but one example in the Old Testament of that sentiment. Yes, forgiven people give themselves to God. And so the parameters of the grain offering are rich with meaning. 
aimed at capturing the hearts of God's people so they will give themselves wholly to him. Friends, can, can you understand now how this is applicable when we're asking questions about how to give and how to serve? What sort of, what sort of offerings to bring? What sort, what sort of ministries to participate in and how frequently and these sorts of things? Well, as we seek these answers, we'll examine three aspects of the grain offering. Three aspects that, that demonstrate God's desire to have all of us. First, the grain offering is a sacrifice of devotion, and we're going to look at that. Secondly, we'll, we'll consider that it is also a sacrifice uh, of delight. And finally, a sacrifice of distinction. So that's how we'll walk through the text. Devotion, delight, and distinction as we think through this, uh, this offering. So let's take them one at a time. First, the grain offering is a sacrifice of devotion. And we see this in the first three verses of our text. Look at, look at the very beginning again, just for a moment. Drop your eyes down in the book. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The people's devotion is seen in the purpose of this sacrifice. The people's devotion is seen in the whole reason for bringing the sacrifice in the first place. Devotion begins with a heart of thanksgiving. And the grain offering was just that, an, express, an expression of thanksgiving to God for his provision. The Lord had promised he would plant his people in a land of promise, a land where he would lavish upon them all they would need and beyond. You know this. A, a, a quick perusal of the Old Testament, and, and we run into this again and again. When the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he declared in Exodus 3.8, I have come down to deliver my people out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land, and then to do what? To deliver them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised them fullness and blessing. And they would have it. Solomon would later lead the people to rejoice in it. He would proclaim in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56, not one word has failed of his good promise as they looked about the land. The Lord would deliver Israel through the wilderness to a place where they would be given a life of abundance. And so the grain offering was designed for the people to reflect on his grace and regularly give back a portion of the rich blessing God had supplied to them. This was a sacrifice of a devotion that, that sprung from a heart of thanksgiving. They had been given much, and the grain offering was an opportunity to express the people's devotion to their gracious provider. What wisdom of God! And laying out this very offering. Also take note of the quality of the ingredients of the offering. It too expressed the devotion of the worshiper who brought it. You saw it in verse 1 there. Fine flour, oil, and frankincense. All of these elements of the offering were of the highest value. The finest of, of the grain was the majority of the sacrifice. That was the, the bulk of the sacrifice. What is referred to here is purified, fine flour. But not only that, 
flour that was mixed with oil that, that throughout the Old Testament is symbolic of, of something or someone being set apart for God's purposes. What was expected was the careful preparation of the best that could be offered. This, friends, was a costly sacrifice. This kind of offering would call men to give their hearts to God, to devote themselves to the one who had done what must have seemed impossible in the famine of Jacob's day, impossible in Israel's enslavement in Egypt, Impossible on the people's long journey through the wilderness. Impossible as they spied their great adversaries who possessed the land before them. But God would do as he said. For those who had received incredible provision, this sacrifice was an act of devotion. God wanted them to recognize him for who he was to them. In this offering, such extraordinary provisions were not to be hoarded, but lavished back upon the Lord in sacrifice. To be miserly with your resources is to deny the Lord who gave them to you. It would be an expression of doubt and mistrust. And so the Lord laid out the provisions for the sacrifice for them to give back the best of what they had to show devotion to the one that gave it to them. Farmers only bring in a harvest at, at a few times of year, depending on what crop we're talking about. So to give of the best of that harvest was an act of devoted faith. It was showing loyalty to the one who brings in the harvest, who lavishes goodness upon you. To the grain was added oil, as I said, but also there was a very expensive additive of frankincense. Frankincense was a, a fragrant ingredient. Uh, it was used in, in incense and perfumes, and it could only be acquired from far-off lands. It, it, was, it, was not, uh, it could not be a, a, obtained in Palestine. Solomon, in fact, showed his extravagant, extravagant love for his bride by having her carried on a couch scented with this costly herb. We read of that in Song of Solomon chapter 3. Frankincense, of course, was well-suited then to honor God who cared for his people so richly. Centuries later, it would be offered again by foreign dignitaries to show their devotion to God who lavished his son upon the world to save sinners. I mean, it's so embedded in our minds, we can't even say the word frankincense without thinking of the incarnation of Christ. Extraordinary. The grain offering was an expression of gratitude to God for all he had given his people. They're showing devotion to him by giving to him liberally from the best that they had. Such acts bring delight to God. Bring delight to God. The text tells us this. When he is glorified by his servants, recognized for his care for them uh, at great cost to themselves, such an offering yields, verse 2 and verse 9, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Oh, that we would offer ourselves to him in a way that pleases him, that brings a smile to his divine face. And so I would just ask you, how do you view your resources? How do you think about your, your, your possessions and your money and the things that God has given you? Do you think of them as, as merely fruit of your own work? 
Friends, God wants our hearts. He wants us to gladly acknowledge him as the provider of all of the good things that we have. He wants us to sacrifice to him uh, with rich praise and costly sacrifices in, in our giving. Don't give him the leftovers of your meditations. Don't give him half-hearted worship. Don't serve him sparingly. Don't put money in the offering box that you won't miss. Seek to bring delight to the one who richly provides for you day after day after day. He has given you a church. He has given you the Spirit's giftings. He has lavished you in resources. We are the richest of peoples in this world. Give back to him in a way that expresses true thanksgiving, that expresses a heart of complete devotion to him. Oh, friends, be examining your hearts under the, under the sound of this word. Such devotion was to be expressed in the grain offering. That's why the Lord gave these instructions through Moses. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for all he had done for Israel. But the biggest blessing was not the plentiful grain. It wasn't the rich supply of oil or even foreign delights like frankincense and and other items. The real gift to Israel was God himself. It was his presence with his people. And so the grain offering was also given in thanksgiving for God's presence with them in worship. So not only given in thanksgiving for his his provision, but now also for God's presence with Israel in their worship. In this way, their devotion to God was shown through the knowledge that most of the grain offering would not be burnt, in fact, on the altar to the Lord, but rather given to the priests. After burning a small portion of it, we read in both verses 3 and 10, the rest of the grain offering would be for Aaron and his sons. After a pinch, after a handful, was burned on the altar. The, the, the lion's share, the rest of it was, was given to the priests. It was to sustain the priesthood without which no one could worship the Lord. Think about that. As the Israelites brought their grain offering, they bought, brought it in thanksgiving that God was with them. And the expression of this was in knowing that most of their offering was going to the priests so that the priests could live and could be sustained and continue to mediate their worship. You see, the priests weren't given an allotment of the land. They lived on the grace of the people of God as they would come in obedient sacrifice, offering, making offerings like this grain offering. And so Israel demonstrated their devotion, their desire to be with God through this act by making grain offerings that would be food for the priests. Later in the book, we read of the priests eating this offering in in the tabernacle itself. And so in a very real way, the giving of the people to the priests as God's representatives was a giving to God himself so they might be with him. Think of that. Think of the motivation that provides. Think of the good grid that is to look through and answering questions about when should I give and how should I give. And of course, this idea of supporting the priesthood, it's carried through in the New Testament. Though we don't have priests today, we do have spiritual leaders like pastors. 
And so we see this idea of supporting the, the, the leaders of God's church in, in passages like 1 Timothy 5 and this one, Galatians 6.6. 6. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, a significant portion of your financial gifts to our church goes to support Dan and me as your full-time pastors. I mean, if you remember, we, you know, we just presented the budget a week ago, and there was a pie up there, and it was a pretty big portion of the pie that went to the salaries of the pastors. Without your faithful, sacrificial giving, we couldn't devote ourselves full-time to the ministry. And so we are grateful to God for that. And God is merciful to his people for, for, uh, for laying out these parameters. Part of your joyful giving to the church is knowing that you're sustaining the pastors who lead the church in corporate worship, who, who, who lead in the preaching of the word and the administration of the ordinances. But your gifts should ultimately uh, be offered in thanks to God for his presence in your lives and in our church. Let, the, let that glorious truth motivate you to give yourselves wholly to God. Yes, forgiven people, friends, give themselves to God. That's the message of this chapter. Forgiven people give themselves to God. This is seen in the grain offering as it was a sacrifice of devotion, as we've been, as we've been looking at here in these first few verses. The Israelites gave back choice offerings of grain and, and other substances to show their gratitude and love and devotion to God, who provided lavishly and through the priests was present with them in their worship. It was shown in the grain offering as a sacrifice of devotion, but it, it was also seen to be a sacrifice of delight. And, and we see that in the middle portion of our text, verses 4 through 10. What, what I mean by this is that it, friends, what's being discussed in chapter 2 is not a, it's not an offering that came at, at, at times of the year at festivals. There are offerings like that. But this offering was a free will offering. It was like, whenever you want, bring a grain offering. That's what's being discussed in chapter 2. It wasn't prescribed at certain times and at different festivals and the like. Matthew Henry put it this way, This chapter concerns those offerings that were offered whenever a man saw cause to express his devotion. Oh, that we would do that again and again. And you thought the law of God was only strict rules. But here we see God's provision for sinners who simply want to offer their heart and life to him in a new way, a fresh way. It's not unlike our need to turn from our, our sins on a regular basis and pledge ourselves, pledge our lives to him repeatedly. And that devotion is seen in what we offer God when we are not required to do so. When we delight in God, that is when we want to give freely and often. Put yourself in the shoes of a priest ministering at the tabernacle. Think for a minute just about the blessing of the priest seeing people come just of their own volition, making, making these, these, uh, these expensive, these costly offerings. Here's John and Rachel again bringing sacrifice of the finest they have to offer, a priest might think. There's Larry and Margie again. They were just here yesterday. And I can't count how many times I've seen Dolores this month. I mean, think about that. That's, what, that's from, the, from the perspective of the priests, right? And this expresses the delight in the hearts of the people making those offerings. And that's why this chapter is here. God wants all of us 
He wants us to offer ourselves wholly to him. Costly sacrifices, unpredicted service, frequent giving that's over and above the regular weekly offerings. That only happens when it is a sacrifice of delight. It's not unlike the difference between me going and buying a Valentine's card for my wife because that's what's expected of me. It's in February after all. And me writing her a love note in the middle of June on no occasion. That's the difference. God wants our heart. And so I would just ask you, do you give to God only when it's expected? I mean, do that. Give, uh, uh, give that regular rhythm, right? That's the worship of God that, that, that he deserves and what sustains the ministry. But, but do you only give at such times? Friends, seek to stir up your affection for God in serving him and giving to him over and above what you normally do. Surprise yourself and perhaps others. As you, as you do more, as you increase in your delight in him. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it so that other people uh, applaud you. Don't do it for man's praise. Do it secretly oftentimes. Ponder his great acts of mercy and love to you in the past. Consider his immovable commitment to be your God and care for you out of his great love for you, despite the fact that you fail him again and again. Let that be the motivation to be wildly generous to him. To look for opportunities outside the normal rhythms of the weekly services. Look for ways to bask in his goodness and worship him more frequently over and over again. Serve in a ministry you don't normally serve. Give a sacrificial gift that wasn't in your plan. Pray with somebody you don't normally pray with for the purpose of leading them in your heart's delight in God. Yes, the grain offering was for Israel a free will offering that I've been trying to describe here. And this freedom was also seen in the different ways in which the, the grain might be presented. So there was freedom in when it was offered and also in the way the offering was prepared by the worshiper. Verse 4 anticipates one might bring a grain offering baked in the oven. Verse 5, one baked on a griddle. Verse 7, one being cooked in a pan. Now, I'm just here to tell you, I don't cook, and none of that means anything to me. But God wants all of us, and there are people that delight in cooking and presenting meals in different ways just to bless people because they love them. I mean, Kathy Ringer's done that a number of times for us. Kelly Connell, again and again. Lots of people in this church have done that sort of, that sort of love, you know, that, that sort of giving out of love. And so I think this is an expression of God just wanting all of us. He wants our hearts to delight in him, and our offerings flow from that. I mean, have you ever been overwhelmed by someone giving you a gift that, that took a lot of time or was made in a way that you didn't expect or, or with a talent you could never have done yourself? That's what I see in the different ways God anticipates his people showing their delight in him by presenting the grain offering in these different modes. Oh, that we would have hearts to serve God and, and, and to do so in an unexpected ways. Ways that show our growing happiness in God. Forgiven people give themselves to God. And this text intimates wonderful diversity 
in the worship of those who exult in him. So this sacrifice of delight is seen in the fact that it was a free will offering, in in the freedom of the preparation of the gift, but it's also seen in the very word Moses used that's translated grain offering in this chapter. Now if you've drifted off for a minute, come on back here. Listen up. The word here that's translated grain offering was used elsewhere for the payment of tribute by a conquered king to the one who defeated him. That word tribute is the word for grain offering in our text. The conquered king would swear allegiance to his new overlord by paying him money. Okay? But here's the thing. Think about if you were the conquered king, would you delight in that payment? No, it would be a bitter pill to swallow, wouldn't it? You're now a defeated people, and you're the one that led to their defeat. And now you've got to make this payment to this king that's stronger than you. It was done not out of delight, but out of fear. To refuse to give the gift would mean death. But the grain offering, outlined in Leviticus 2, was motivated by delight. It it, it was not done because of the fear of a violent master. No, it was to be motivated by the joy of living under a good king. under Under the God of all grace. Who loves and cares for those who submit to him. The burning of a handful of the grain offering as a memorial portion. That's mentioned in verses 2, 9, and 16. That means it's offered in remembrance. Remembrance of what? Remembrance of the Lord's grace. Which is the reason there was anything to offer to him in the first place. It's offered in in remembrance. It's offered in honor, in delight of a God who cares for those he loves. And so as we worship the Lord, not just in Sunday services, to include that for sure, but as we manage our lives throughout the week, as we need to remember what God has given us, who he is to us. And as we delight in, in who he is and what he has done, we are moved to sacrifice and serve others as our offering to him. Yes, forgiven people give themselves to God. This truth runs throughout God's wise instructions here for the grain offering. As the people brought it to the priests, it represented a sacrifice of devotion It, too, was a sacrifice of delight. And finally, it was also to be a sacrifice of distinction. And we see that in the final verses of our text, verses 11 through 16. This final section has some prohibitions spelled out. It feels a little more like what we sometimes think of the law of God, a list of don'ts. But the restrictions here are good restrictions. They're wise restrictions. They are restrictions that, uh, that help the people offer themselves to God in, in a way that, that they would remember what he's like to them. He, he is God as the Bible reveals him. That's who God is. As revealed in the Bible. Not as people shape him in their minds to be. God is distinct from creation and man's ideas of how a God God ought to be like. 
He is the uniquely glorious God of the Scriptures. And, and that is the only kind of God that's worthy of our devotion, friends. The only, the only kind of God worthy of our delight the God revealed to us in the word, and so we need to worship him distinctly. And that's what we see in these parameters here at the end of our text. First of all, it reminds us, the, these, these restrictions remind us that God is a savior. God is a savior. That's, that's way out in the forefront of our mind as we worship him, as, as God's people throughout time were to worship him. Look at verse 11 there. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now verse 12 makes clear that a different offering, a first fruits offering that isn't burnt on the altar is not included in this prohibition. In fact, verses 14 through 16 give further instruction on, on this other offering that was brought on special occasions. Put that up on a shelf for a moment. Let us focus on verse 11. The text doesn't explain why leaven and honey are forbidden. We, don't, we, we get no explanation, no, no reasoned, uh, you, you know... Um, no reason provided. Some think it's because they symbolize corruption, the fermenting process, or perhaps because pagan worship included such elements, and this was to be different. And that may be part of it, I'm not sure, to be honest. But surely, the refusal of leaven brings to mind God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. The event Israel is told countless times in the Old Testament to remember. And thus to reflect on the Lord as a Savior. You remember, they couldn't leaven their bread because they would be delivered at any moment. And they had to be ready. In fact, the covenant name of God represented in our text in all caps, LORD. The name God revealed to Moses before sending him to Israel when he would save Israel out of Egypt's hand. That covenant name, that name of Israel's Savior, is used 11 times in our text of 16 verses. Do you think maybe the Spirit of God is trying to get us to focus on God as Savior? So the grain offering was meant to be a sacrifice of distinction in this way, to think about the one true God, the Lord who saves his people from their enemies. And leaving out the leaven was a way to keep that in front of the people's minds as they brought their gift to the altar whenever they wanted to express their devotion, their delight, and to hold out God as distinct from all others. And of course, this thinking that the grain offering engendered for generations, finally found its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. The incarnation of the Son of God come to save his people from their sins and crush the power of Satan and death in his resurrection, thus delivering us from all of our enemies. And so we are provided not only with our daily bread, but the bread of life. We're united to Christ by repentant faith in him, and so we are to offer new and holy lives back to God that our Savior made possible. And it's seen in this little, you know, sort of code, you know, framework in the grain offering. 
we are to give ourselves wholly to him from our hearts. Forgiven people give themselves to God. Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 1 verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And because our God is a Savior, like those words declare, and because he frees us to live a new and holy life, we offer ourselves to him as living sacrifices, as Romans 12 puts it. Or as Colossians 2 would go on to say, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, abounding in thanksgiving. So again, I would just put it to you. How do you live for God, friends? How do you decide how to put your efforts and resources towards serving God? How do you offer up a sacrifice of distinction that your God is in fact your Savior? You train your mind. That's how. You train your mind. You set your thoughts on Christ who saves. And then ask him to help your life to reflect that grand truth. That you might live as one who has been delivered from the bondage of sin. Who lives in newness of life. That's an offering of distinction. Remembering God as Savior. Oh, that we would do that. Take some work, friends. Takes deliberate care of your mind and soul. One more thing. We need to worship God distinctly as not only Savior, but as a God who's faithful. This is why the grain offering had to include salt along with the oil and frankincense. It's mentioned three times in quick succession in that one verse. Salt doesn't burn easily. It symbolizes indestructibility, permanence. That is the eternal nature of God's covenant with his people. And so bringing the grain offering with salt included is an offering of distinction, remembering God's enduring commitment to those he saves. So many passages we could go to to, to encapsulate this, but listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 through 9. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We need, to, we need to make sacrifices to God with this in mind, that he's faithful. That's what the salt represented in that, in the, in that grain offering provision there. It reminds us that God's love is eternal. As Psalm 136 sings out in each of its 26 verses, his steadfast love endures forever. You know that psalm, right? Repeat it. It's the second half of every single verse in the psalm. His steadfast love endures forever. What a 
fitting depiction of this great reality. May God's faithfulness embolden you to give your whole life to him. As, as, you think, as you maybe struggle with holding back part of your life or, or giving of yourself sparingly, put your mind to this reality that God never wavers in his commitment to you. He's wholly devoted to you. May that inspire you to, to live as forgiven people. For forgiven people give themselves to God. And I trust the grain offering described in Leviticus 2 has convinced you of that and inspired you to give more of yourself to him. Think about this as the week goes on, friends. Come back to this and and meditate on it. Ask God to reveal things to you about yourself. Seek to make sacrifices that show him your devotion, that reveal your delight in him, and that are careful to be distinct. That is to reflect a God who saves and remains forever faithful. Take a few minutes of just quiet reflection over the word of God, friends, and, and prayerful reflection. stand and receive this benediction. This provides us with yet another opportunity to connect to our forefathers in the faith. Solomon spoke to Israel these words of blessings. Hear them with fresh ears. 1 Kings chapter 8. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Amen. Go in peace, friends.